Welcome to Tech Whisperers, the podcast that takes you inside the playbook of the world's best digital leaders. This is a show for digital and business leaders who are passionate about learning from the industry shapers and market makers. Join your host, Dan Roberts, as he unpacks the unique stories, leadership philosophies, and answer the call moments that define and differentiate the best leaders of our day. Our goal is to help you gain an edge and move you beyond your comfort zone so that you are driving more impact and value for your team, your company, and your career. Let's get into the show and hear from another amazing tech whisperer. Well, welcome back, everybody. I am Dan Roberts, your host. So how do you unpack the playbook and superpowers, and that is plural, by the way, of someone like Larry Quinlan, a Hall of Fame CIO who is recognized as one of the most successful leaders ever in our profession. Larry, as you know, is someone who oversaw over 10,000 IT professionals across 175 countries for Deloitte, which is a powerhouse $45 billion professional services firm consisting of 330,000 professionals. And if that weren't enough, Larry also drove significant revenue as a lead client partner for several of Deloitte's large clients. So how do you unpack the playbook of someone like Larry? Well, you do it by inviting nine special people who know him intimately well to ask questions that will tease out his secret sauce. So Larry, I wish you a warm welcome and want you to know that these nine individuals were ecstatic, like they were giddy about being part of this. So welcome to the show. Thank you. It's really an honor to be here and I'm looking forward to it. Fantastic. Well, let's jump in. We've got a lot of ground to cover and uh, we've got a real wide range of people from your universe, different circles who we're going to tee up. So let's listen to the first question and we'll let you take it from there. It's an honor to have Larry join the ServiceNow board. He's a global powerhouse. His industry knowledge and depth of experience has added so much to our board of directors, including how we think about the future at ServiceNow. Larry, could you share your perspective on the future of digital transformation and how companies should be investing in a tech-to-compete world? It's actually an honor to get a question from Bill McDermott, the CEO at uh, ServiceNow, and I am privileged to serve on the ServiceNow board. I, I knew Bill back from his SAP days and followed his career. And he is an outstanding leader, a charismatic gentleman, and just really, really thrilled to have the opportunity to work with him. You know, Bill asked the question about digital transformation and in a world beset by pandemics and inflation and war, there is one thing that just doesn't slow down and that's digital transformation. It seems that in times of stress, we need digital transformation more. In times of full employment, uh, lower employment, we need digital transformation because there is this recognition that organizations must transform themselves in order to survive. And in the old days, there were lots of things, process reengineering, et cetera, and those things still matter very much because transformation doesn't occur in a vacuum. 
But it is now undeniably true that across the spectrum, with all kinds of organizations and enterprises, digital is making a difference and the transformation of all of these processes has a digital underpinning. So the future of digital transformation to me is incredibly bright. Yeah, great perspectives, Larry. And uh, Bill, we really appreciate you. I know you're jetting all around the world and uh, have a lot coming at you. And ServiceNow is certainly at the heart of digital transformation. And uh, Larry, you being the board is pretty incredible. In fact, I should have mentioned in the introduction, you've pivoted. You are like that top athlete who went out on top. You retired from Deloitte and you kind of blank. And how many boards are you on now, Larry? I'm on two public boards and a few uh, private boards, some private equity portfolio boards. So it's been a busy transition. I, to be fair, I agonized over the, the choice to, to retire and to retire a few years early from Deloitte. It's been an incredible organization to be a part of, but I'm learning. I'm learning a lot. I'm privileged to be able to sit at the table and see just the most incredibly talented people at work. So I've pivoted from a career at Deloitte, which I think has a knack of hiring the most incredible people, to a series of boards where I see governance and action, and I see incredible management teams at work. And Bill McDermott at ServiceNow is is one of the consummate professionals and one of the most amazing people. Well, good luck with those boards, uh, Larry. And in fact, our next mystery question comes from someone that you have served with in one of your nonprofit boards. So let's listen to her question. Larry, congratulations for this tribute to you on Tech Whispers. I have known you as being somebody who is quintessentially unflappable. In moments of high stress, high pressure, you are just cool as a cucumber. You make good decisions all the time. What advice do you have for colleagues at a time right now that we're in of great economic uncertainty and volatility in managing through change and what could be a sustained economic downturn, particularly given that so many leaders have not necessarily been through this kind of economic turmoil. You know, having served on, on the board, the Empower board with Bertina, the CEO, has been one of the highlights of my career. I just think the mission of Empower is incredible to provide technology skills to the underserved and to veterans is just way, way cool. And Bertina is just one of those authentic leaders who drives the organization forward. And I'm really thrilled to have had the opportunity to work with her. And now I chair the Empower Emeritus Board. In terms of advice and in times of stress, there are a few things that come to mind for me. One is you got to be known for something. I like to say you got to be famous for something, right? What is it that people think about when they talk to you, Google you, et cetera? And we have to leave a mark. We have to leave a footprint in the sand, not because of arrogance, not because we just want people to know who we are, 
But I think it's the most effective way of affecting change when people really know that we are famous for this thing, that we have put blood, sweat, and tears into it, that we understand it, and that we have a passion for making change. And that's the second piece of advice that I would give. Never lose that passion for, for change. Yes, we get hired for our skills, but nobody hired us for our skills only. People are counting on us as leaders to affect change. All of the communications that we do are designed to affect change. All of the transformation we talked about is designed to affect change. The reason we were put into these seats that we're privileged to sit in is to affect change. So being famous for something and being capable of effective change, of affecting change uh, with a passion, I think is critical. Mm. Powerful. Larry, what would you say? We've got up and coming leaders, in addition to board members and C-suite leaders around the world who are listening to this. What would you say to those who say, well, I'm not a Larry Quinlan. I'm not a Bill McDermott. I can't be famous for something. How would you respond to that? Everybody can be famous for something. Everybody should be famous for something. I have the opportunity to be famous for large scale enterprise technology leadership, but I also developed a real passion for people. I, I really, really deeply believe that people matter. But in whatever sphere you're in, you can be famous for something. If you are a PMO manager, are you famous for executing projects on time? Are you famous for getting people to be able to come together and work together in a way that isn't quite the same when you are not there. If you're a developer, do people look with admiration at the work that you produce or are they frustrated by what you do? It doesn't really matter. <laughs> Whatever you're doing, you can be famous for something with your skill set, with your attitude, with your passions, your ability to communicate and affect change. You don't have to build the Empire State Building. <laughs> yeah. You can write an app and still be famous for something. That's inspiring. Yeah, that's inspiring. And that, that doesn't let anybody off the hook, Larry, which I, I love. We're helping people in a significant way. And Bertina Ciccarelli, really appreciate you, as Larry said, and NPower and the great work you're doing there. Larry, the next few questions or our mystery questioners are going to help unpack your leadership superpowers, your ability to create healthy tension, how you provoke leaders to think more deeply, and your intentional focus on developing the human side of the IT equation. So let's listen into the first one and let us know who this uh, gentleman is and uh, tackle his meaty question. And good seeing you. It's so great to work with you over the number of years, both as a partner and a friend. And I really appreciate an opportunity to pay a tribute with a question to Larry Quinlan, whom I, I think so, so very well about. So, Larry, you've often used the word tension within an organization. And many times you say it's healthy to have tension within an organization. 
Why do you believe that is good? So that sounds like Doug Ash, a, a really good friend. I saw Doug recently, actually, and had the good fortune to serve with Doug at Deloitte, a, a true gentleman, beautiful family. We actually celebrated his retirement a few weeks ago in Miami. His second retirement, that he'll remind <laughs> us. The only retirement. reason he came out of his first retirement was because of you. So. <laughs> <laughs> and hosted him on the boat recently. So tension in the organization is an, is an interesting topic. Tension's required because we are better when we incorporate the perspectives of others. And when perspectives differ, tension occurs. We should seek to have that creative tension without the divisiveness that pervades our society today. When I was younger and way cockier, I believed that the role of everyone else was to agree with me and do what I say. <laughs> and, and how wrong I was, right? Like how really wrong? Because it turned out that as different people with different perspectives, skill sets, and expertise weighed in, that the sum of all of these parts was fantastic that people actually made the work product better. And the compromises really weren't deficiencies. They actually turned out to be improvements on the thinking. Now, there are times in that process when you or I should reject something because it really takes away from the core or eliminates the value. So compromise is not a slippery slope uh, to the bottom. Compromise stops, negotiation occurs. But the net result is absolutely better when we have this tension. Now, some leaders like to put destructive tension in, make people fight for their lives, undermine each other. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about collaborative tension with people with different skill sets have the audacity to say no to their leader. This doesn't work that way. Or I don't agree with that. And there's no intimidation simply because I'm the boss or you're the boss. We work together, we hash it out. Now, as a leader, I do insist that once we've all hashed it out and we've come to a conclusion, we are all now going to execute not each person holding on to their original thesis. And that includes me. Even though I came to the table with a particular point of view, it is now informed by other perspectives. And that new approach is what we're all going to go execute flawlessly. I like that, Larry. So the healthy, creative, collaborative tension, you're the master at getting people to get to a better place and keep it very, very healthy. And Thanks to Doug. I mean, Doug in his next chapter is going to do amazing things too. Can't wait to watch what he's going to do and in his work. Certainly a gentleman with, I would say, grit and grace. He he has that great balance of, of walking that line. You know, we're going to pull in another one of your former colleagues, Larry. So let's listen in here to uh, another great question for another incredible gentleman. So Larry, what a what an awesome person to have on Dan's show. One of the things that amazes me about you 
is how you, in your unique way, you come across so easygoing with this beautiful West Indian accent. And in your unique way, you challenge your leaders, you provoke them to think a little bit differently about a subject. Even though you may know the answer, you wanna make sure that there's the right dialogue in the room so that you and the team get to the right answer. How did you develop that style? That is Mr. Buckham White. Really? That does not sound like Micah. <laughs> <laughs> Great question, Michael. And of course, Michael, you were very encouraging him both at Deloitte and also, you know, as the chairperson of ITSMF or the IT Senior Management Forum, which we'll talk about here in a few minutes. Uh, he's doing a phenomenal job. I, it's been a true pleasure to work with Michael Buckham White, both at ITSMF and at Deloitte. I was really pleased to see him join Deloitte. I thought he just upped our game in a number of different ways. Really pleased to see him become the chair of ITSMF and the organization has blossomed under his leadership. So really, really thrilled to be able to work with him and to meet his family, such incredible, successful people. So I'm at the ITSMF dinner a few months ago. That was, that was really cool. The whole notion of working with people, getting them to, to yes, I think stems from a true caring for people and what they think. And I mentioned that earlier in my career, I thought people's job was just to agree with me. And, and I learned and I learned fast. I do care what people think. I, I, I sit in rooms sometimes. We were in a restaurant. There was a group of us guys and we were talking. And one guy was like, I don't care what people think. I do my thing. <laughs> right? And another person was similarly inclined. And I kind of realized that I actually cared what people think. And I actually care what they think about me. And it bothers me when, <laughs> when it isn't right. I care about their input. I care about what they're trying to accomplish. I care about getting to a win-win. Now, there's a limit to the caring, just as there's a limit to collaboration. At some point, you cannot let what every single person thinks of you determine your actions. But it absolutely impacts me. I process what each person's telling me. I think about what they're saying. At times, I have to come to the conclusion that this is wrong, or I can't do that, or I'm not inclined to do this. But it impacts me, I feel. I remember being in an elevator in Deloitte once in New York, and, and there was one of our junior consultants just complaining about something about technology, and that bothered me for a week. <laughs> they didn't know who I was. They were just talking. And it bothered me, and I went back to our team, and we wanted to fix this. And I've always felt that when I lose that passion, when it doesn't bother me anymore, when I don't care what people think, and you know, the fact that my customers are kind of upset, ah, you know, who cares? What do they know? 
it's time for me to get out. I've always cared. Failure puts a, you know, a knot in the pit of my stomach. <laughs> I care what people think. And I think that's what drives my desire to want to bring the crowd together and to take us forward. I also deeply believe that part of the job of a leader is to help the group get to places that the group initially didn't think they could go. It doesn't mean that every single time it is my job as leader to point the destination. Sometimes it is. But sometimes my job is just to create the kind of environment where people will actually figure out themselves this new Mount Everest that we want to climb. And it is by creating that kind of environment that allows that creativity to thrive that we can get there. We're getting an executive MBA here today, Larry. I really appreciate this. And uh, thank you, Michael, for that question. And I like the idea of provoking that kind of decision-making. We have one more great question from someone who is pretty close to you, Larry. So let's listen in and, and tackle this last question around your leadership superpowers. So Larry, I know development of people is important to you and you do it in such a quiet and impactful way such that people don't always understand the true insight and impact to years later. Can you talk a little bit about the intentionality that you have around developing others? Michael Robinson's a, a true friend. He and, he and I go way back. We spent so many nights in Broadway <laughs> together uh, with our spouses and hung out in, in a number of different countries even. Really an honor to, you know, to be Michael's friend. Leadership development, people development, all of it, I, I think, is our job. And not only it's, is it our job, <laughs> it, it's got to define the core of who we are. If I succeed and no one else does, it's really a hollow victory. If everywhere I leave, the place falls apart, then how good was I really if I never laid the foundation for future success? So I view it as a responsibility, not just something that I should be lauded for doing. It's my job. And I feel deeply that it's my job. Now, how you go about doing it, that's a different story. I actually believe that different people require different approaches. So I don't have any masterclass and this is exactly how you do it. In fact, I remember talking to one of our leaders and that person said, look, this is who I am. This is me. This, this is what you get. And my response in thinking about it was, hmm, I think we really ought to think more about what people need from us than just this is me and this is what you get. And what I've found over the years is people are people, they're human. Each one requires something different to be inspired. Each person requires a different approach to inspire followership. Each person 
requires different attention for them to feel and understand that you care. Some want to spend more time. Some want to spend less time. Some want you to zero in on the problems. Some want you to linger on the praise. <laughs> Lots of different ways. Of course, you've got to be true to yourself in many ways. You can't just have no idea how you're going to react under any circumstances. But for me, the North Star was, what do people need from me? And in return, what I got from people was incredible loyalty, unbelievable creativity. And I can honestly say that I can point to dozens and dozens of people who genuinely had my back in every role that I was in because I believe they genuinely felt that I had their back. You've always talked about your people and, and those kind of ways with me, Larry, and, and you never saw it as a 10,000 personal organization. You always talked about an organization of, of individuals making up your, your amazing team, which you, you built the dream team there. It was pretty special. Great team and truly enjoyed serving with them. Yeah. Larry, next question is going to help us tease out more of your leadership through your, one of your hobbies. You know, you've got, you've got some interesting hobbies and let's listen in and uh, let's tease this one out as well. Larry, everyone recognizes you as an incredibly accomplished IT executive. Some of us know that you are also quite an accomplished scuba diver. My sense is that to be an excellent scuba diver, you've got to have the ability to stay calm, have a great awareness of your surroundings, and be an excellent planner. Tell us, what are the things that you learned from scuba diving that contribute to your success as a CIO? And are there other things that make one such an exceptional diver? That is our good friend, Art Hopkins from uh, Russell Reynolds. Truly a privilege to have worked with Art and just known him as part of ITSMF and, and his current and previous organizations. Real quality guy. A heck of a family man as well. He just talks with pride about, about his family in, in an incredible way. I love diving. It's so peaceful underwater. And the phone never rings underwater, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty cool. I used to joke at work with, uh, I like diving with sharks because it prepared me for the real world. <laughs> it was more of a jest than anything else because uh, while there's certainly some predators in the real world, I, I tend to think of people mostly wanting to do the right thing, but needing the right environment to do it in. But diving requires a number of things. For me, and this is kind of weird, Diving for me requires self-doubt. I never want to get so comfortable that I just, I know it all. I know what to do. I'm just going to jump in the water and go. Even though I've gone diving hundreds of times, I always have this moment of doubt. Did I turn on my air? Is my equipment working okay? Who's my buddy? Do I know them? 
What's the wind look like? What's the current look like? Is there a danger? Can I get swept away? Right. All of these things go through my mind and the heart beats a little faster. And I don't think of it in terms of fear. I think of it as healthy. It puts me on edge. It makes me think about the dangers. It reminds me that I am mortal. It reminds me that I need to pay attention. It pushes that arrogance of having done it so many times out of my mind in a way that I am now ready to experience something with heightened awareness. And for me, leadership service is just like that. You show up for work every day. You've been in the role for years and you just think you know everything. And somebody shows up and they are four levels below you. And they have an idea or something you never thought of. You just dismiss it out of hand. What could they know? And for me, it's that preparation. It's thinking about what are the challenges? What are people saying? Am I really listening to them? Just as I think about which direction is the wind blowing before I go diving, well, what are people really saying? Am I attuned to what they're saying when I go into a meeting? Did I come off just too arrogant in that meeting? Was I really listening? You know, the favorite one. Did I just do email throughout all of their stuff and they're now crushed? because I thought I was just way more important than them. So I just needed to do all my stuff while they were anxious to have you know, their moment in the sun. So all of that preparation for diving taught me that. It wasn't so much the mechanics of it. You master those. It's the mental preparation of not getting too arrogant. It's the same as that mental preparation of learning to listen to people, of learning to care, of learning to get feedback, of learning to understand how you just came across to your people or your customers. That's really, really important. And that's what I learned from diving. Yeah, that focus really keeps you sharp. Doesn't let you get sloppy. Yeah, it's it's not fear, it's healthy. That's, that's powerful. Great question, Art. Appreciate that. And Art also is on the board of ITSMF, which you and I are very, very involved in. So appreciate him. Let's listen to our next question, Larry. You've got a good one here for you that I think will resonate on many levels. So let's listen in. Larry, do you remember when you were head beggar in chief for ITSMF, the premier national organization committed to increasing the representation of black technology executives? I certainly do. And while serving in that role, and even beyond, you always, in addition to Deloitte's give, made a personal contribution. Why do you give personally? Probably the best way of, of describing Viola is to say, you know, I love Viola. <laughs> I think she is amazing. Really, really took our ITSMF organization and put it on the map, but always did it without self-aggrandizement. It was always the organization first, its members first, its constituents first. Everything was for our good. And that's an amazing lesson that you know, I learned from her. 
I give back because I care. I, it comes back to that. I care about people. I care about our leaders. And that's why I introduce them to ITSMF. I care about the organization itself because I care about its mission, which is why we provided funding and time. I served on the board. I don't like raising money. <laughs> when people ask me to raise money, I'm more likely to write a check than to go ask my friends to write checks. I'm just not good at it. <laughs> and yet here I was leading the fundraising committee for ITSMF, standing on stage, calling people, asking them to do the one thing that I don't like doing. <laughs> and it's because I care about the organization. I care about the mission. I care about the people in the organization. There's so many amazing people who have become such fantastic friends and who I really want to be like when I grow up. But even beyond that, it's what the organization has done for the next generation. I just look back to Deloitte and I look at the members of ITSMF in our Deloitte team, and I see the number of promotions that they got. And I know they're having these conversations in ITSMF with the people who mentor them, safe spaces where they can talk to people. And that helps build their confidence, allows them to perform at the level they already know how to perform, but perhaps had too much doubt. That's the power of ITSMF. It makes you care. And that's why I wanted to be involved. Yeah, we all love Viola Thompson. And she's probably the only person in the world that could get you to become the head of fundraising. And appreciate her very much and all that she's done. The organization, for those of us who know ITSMF well, we also know it stands for It's My Family. And uh, you don't want to participate if you don't like hugs because it's, uh, it's, a, it's a real family. And uh, That is true. Just a quick break. I've got two more questions for you, Larry. But we've heard about how generous you are with your time, your talent, your treasure. You do so much to help others in our profession. You do a lot to help kids. You keep a lot of this very quiet. But some of us that really know and appreciate that. And in a small way, we're trying to help the next generation as well through our TechLX leadership program and giving away $125,000 donating to, in scholarships to STEM organizations, nonprofit organizations. And we do that, Larry, by giving you, our guest, the ability to gift a scholarship to one of the organizations that you collaborate with. So anybody come to mind that you'd like to gift the scholarship to? Absolutely. I chair the Technology Committee of United Way of Miami-Dade, and there is a technology leader. She's a minority female in a traditionally majority male world. She leads technology. Of course, you know, the mission of United Way for a community like Miami is so incredibly important. I would love to see her experience the leadership development program. So I'd like to sponsor United Way of Miami. That's outstanding. Very excited about that. And we will uh, connect with you and connect with her. And, and uh, it's a nine month cohort based program. She'll be with peers around the country. So this is exactly why we do this, Larry. So thank you for that. 
We have two more special guest questions, Larry, and let's see if you recognize these voices. So let's listen into the next one. People with busy jobs always talk about how difficult it is to balance personal life with business commitments. Growing up, you traveled five days a week, which some may have worried might have put a strain on our relationship. However, because of how intentional you've always been about making time for me and my sister, this has not been the case. What advice could you offer to other busy executives that they can feel confident in balancing their personal lives with their jobs? You recognize that voice, Larry? It'd be really embarrassing if I got that one wrong, wouldn't it? <laughs> Kia and Lisa are my two daughters, and I'm just so incredibly proud of them. And not just because of their accomplishments, which are many, but just because of the young ladies that they have become. I am so proud to, you know, to be their father. I spent the last week in St. Kitts with Lisa, just got back yesterday. <laughs> and actually, I'm in Houston today, going to have dinner with Kia, <laughs> the elder one. Fantastic. And I, I, I thrive on seeing them. In fact, when they left for college many, many years ago, uh, we developed a routine that, hey, every Sunday I talk to them. We'll text during the week or talk if we need to. But every Sunday, whether we need to or not, we'll talk. And once a month, I try to go find them wherever they are to have dinner. So Kia is now in the starting her medical residency here at Baylor University, Texas Children's Hospital. And this is, she started two weeks ago and here I am. Uh, we're gonna go have dinner tonight. But it's been an absolute privilege to, you know, to be their father. They've taught me so much. I, I don't know, I, I don't have a script for, for how to do this. Certainly my personal life, it has its ups and its downs like many other people. But I go back to the fact that I care. I, I deeply, deeply care about the girls and their well-being. And I so much want them to succeed, but I want them to succeed at what they want to succeed in. I don't have a blueprint that says you must be X or you must be Y. I really do care about their happiness. These traditions of talking every Sunday or visiting every month for dinner, wherever they are, I don't think we're born out of a desire to be a wonderful dad. I think I just get so much out of associating with them that I just want to. And so it's, you could almost say it's just as much for me as it is for them. And I think that's the beauty of it. I enjoy being with them and I want to do whatever I can to be with them as much as I possibly can. That's pretty neat. Michael Buckham White pointed out to me that you are one of the most traveled people in the world for many years. So you probably slept more nights on a plane than you did in your own bed. And her question resonated with me. And so I really appreciated that, Lisa. And so our last question does come from Kia, your, your other daughter. So we'll take the surprise out of it. Not that you needed it, but uh, let's listen into that. And as you answer her question, I'd love to have you do so in the overall context of how you frame your overall journey 
the story of Larry Quinlan. So let's listen to Kia's question. One of my favorite pieces of advice that I remember from you ever since I was young was that people matter and that relationships and people are so important. Where did that philosophy of yours first come from? And how has that philosophy evolved throughout your career? You know, I think this philosophy evolved. I don't think I started with it. I started as, a, as I've said before, young, cocky, thought I knew so much stuff. And over the years, I'm glad I had the self-awareness to understand how much people brought to the table, how much they made me better, how much I needed people, even when maybe I didn't want to hear what they were saying. So that was an evolution. I don't think there was just, I woke up one day and, and that was it. But I'm really, really thrilled to have had so many incredible people in my life. As I mentor people, I, I say these things. Sometimes they're cliches. People matter. You got to have relationships. I, I, know I'm, I know it's the right thing to say. But this transition from my operating role at Deloitte to serving on a number of boards has provided this deep personal understanding of what these cliches really mean. If you, every single board that I sit on, someone helped me get on it. I can give you the name of the person they didn't have to. In every single case, they didn't have to. One of the board members at ServiceNow intervened to ensure that I was aware of the opportunity. I had known Bill uh, from his days at SAP. I serve on another public board, Jones Lang LaSalle, JLL. And it was a relationship that put me into the position to interview for that board. For every private equity portfolio company board I'm on, every single one, it is a relationship. And just step back for a moment and think about my bio. Global chief information officer of a 50 billion, 100 plus country enterprise with an iconic name. Yeah, I'm sure without a good bio, I'd be disqualified from a number of opportunities, but it was the relationships that got my bio read. So now I stand or sit in front of everyone saying, now I truly understand this notion of people matter, relationships matter. But what I would say the most powerful thing about a relationship is when you invest in it with no thought of getting a return. Some of the people who intervened on my behalf in my operating role and in my transition to boards, the interactions we had where I may have done something for them or with them could have been years in the past, right? To me, it's just about seeking the company of people because others' perspectives make you better. Seeking relationships because the relationships in and of themselves make me a more rounded and better person. 
the fact that they turn around and actually help me is just gravy. It's not the point. <laughs> the relationship is the point, not the benefit of the relationship. The person is important, not the fact that they can do something for you in the future. It's the person themselves that's important. Your good friend and colleague, Michael Smith, was on the show recently, and he talked about the, finding the joy in the work, finding the joy in these relationships. And you obviously get great joy from investing in people, developing people, growing people. Larry, this time has flown. I wish we had more time for the podcast, but good news is we're going to spend some more time. And next week, we're going to publish your blog on CIO.com, on CIO Whispers. And we're going to talk about some other interesting topics around your perspectives and ideas on how to climb the ladder, your thoughts on how do you anticipate and look around the corner, see around the corner what's happening. And one of my favorite Larryisms is have courage, break some eggs. And we're going to talk about what you mean by those things. So, Larry, thanks so much. I think our nine mystery now, no longer mystery questioners. And uh, thank you for uh, being such a good sport with that. Thank you. It's, it's been a true pleasure. I've enjoyed it. Excellent. We'll see you all next time. Developing a robust pipeline of future-ready IT leaders who know how to show up and engage differently is paramount to success today. If you would like to learn more about the Tech LX Leadership Development Program that Dan talks about in the podcast, we invite you to visit techwhisperers.net. Equip your workforce with a new mindset and skill set needed to maximize impact, increase engagement, and build a world-class talent magnet brand. You've been listening to Tech Whispers, inside the playbook of the best digital leaders, a Woolette and Associates podcast. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show as this helps us connect the world's best digital leaders with those who aspire to learn, grow, and thrive in this amazing profession. Thanks for listening. Until next time.